Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, I'm just recovering from a phlegmy, cough, coldy thing, so I apologise for my horrible voice. Steel. <laughs> and I'm Jade, proficient in podcasting, Rose. Oh, that one was much better. And today is our second Catch Up Geek Out, where we geek out and Woo! catch up. Um and we talk about what we've been consuming, um, in a media sense, since we last hung out. Yes. Um, I went first last time. How does that mean I've got to go first this time? This is what I'm making you do. Oh, I see. So, how have you been? What's What's been happening? Um, well, as my little uh, title might have suggested, D&D has nigh on consumed my very being. Um, to the point where I neglected some podcast prep. Because I was prepping for a one shot that I did yesterday, but it was very fun. It was sort of a belated Valentine's Day special, and we were all level fifteen, and it was very gay. <laughs> My character got smooched. It was the best. I saw on Twitter. Um, yeah, there was just a lot of joy after that. Yeah, one. plainer gays, buff lesbians, and birds with guns. <laughs> that sounds we, great. It was really good fun. Um, we had issues. It was supposed to be streamed, but it didn't happen. So, um, but we all had a really good time playing. Uh, Dylan, who was our uh, uh, DM, did a really good job. So it was uh, much fun. And I played a paladin, which I've never done before. And we were all like level 15. So there's like lots of fun abilities going on. Um, I actually talked to some people who've listened to the podcast who uh, never have ever talked or seen or done anything with tabletop role playing. Mm -hmm. And even though... Uh, I don't know if they're instantly jumping to start playing, but they've still found our discussions about it quite interesting. Hey! Um, I think it is interesting. I'm going to be talking about video games this episode, and I think tabletop's a bit more interesting to talk about because it's, it says a lot about yourself as well. Mm. Yeah, I think because you have to... <clears throat> excuse me, by the nature of what it is, you have you put a lot of yourself into tabletop. And having said that, I'm not going to be talking about anything tabletop-related for the rest of the episode, oh. but... Not this time, anyway. But yeah, my mind is full of my uh, Goliath barbarian who got smooched by an Azamar barbarian. And it <laughs> makes me very happy. So uh, everybody was shipping it by the end. So, But I'm not going to go into giving a breakdown of this, uh, uh, of my one-shot D&D game that I did yesterday. As, as happy as it would make me to do. Um, what I am going to start off talking about is something that I can't actually speak about in much detail because... Part of their thing is secrecy, but I got to see the cursed child. Uh, uh, not this week of us recording, but the week before. Um, I got to see part one and part two on the Thursday and Friday nights. So my brain did something weird with a hiccup <laughs> there. It's fine, it's fine, but yeah. Uh, and their whole big thing is sort of keep the secret, and I can I can see why. I had run across the spoiler on Tumblr, actually, ages ago. I think maybe when the script first came out. And it was so ridiculous, I thought it was fake. <laughs> um, Having yeah. now seen the fact going, oh, okay, so not fake, but the way it had been talked about made it seem like much of a bigger thing than it was. <clears throat> I So I was thinking of when you talked about this, I would mm. ask questions. Yeah. And then you can choose to answer. Cause okay. Because this isn't... These aren't going to be spoilery. Yeah, no, I will stress that I, I'm not going to really talk about the plot at all um, and specifics of the, of the stagecraft I won't speak about either. Um, I wanted to... Um, yeah. I read all the spoilers when it came out. Um, I, I avoided them. Um, because it almost became a bit of a meme at... I'm putting up quotation marks how bad it had gone and i kept on thinking these aren't these are things that sound kind of silly in a synopsis mm -hmm. but i can imagine with great acting and performances and theater and um just the context of the show they won't be as silly or yeah whatever um when they say don't give out uh, the secrets or the spoilers mm. do you think that's because the book's out and people can read it whenever they want. Part of it's marketing. So, well, do you think there's elements of it which are still secret for those that have only seen it live? There are aspects of how the staging is done um, 
that to have described would really alter things. I mean, yes, if you've read the script, yet there are plot wise, there are going to be no surprises for you. But it's the how mm. things are done that is this part of this. I I said to my friends who I went to see it with, and I'm I've said to you. And I've said to anybody who will listen to me say it, who's asked, how was it? Uh, I've long held, long held the belief that theatre is the closest thing we have to magic. Like, theatre captures some... There's this, ma- there's this energy to theatre and it takes you away in a way that no other medium can. And it's, it's captivating and... Harry Potter and the Cursed Child <coughs> is like the fucking crux of magical theatre in the best possible way. But it's wonderful. I frequently get distracted from the plot of plays and musicals that I'm seeing because I'm like, oh, how did they do that? That bit of lighting was amazing. I really want to know. And I also frequently have trouble. Oh, that set is amazing. Let me on it. I want to run around and discover how everything works. Um. I always have that in the theatre. What was great about being at Harry Potter was how much other people were reacting to the stagecraft involved mm. with it. So so there's magic, presumably. And yeah. does it feel like magic? Yeah. That's cool. Because even when I watch the films, I don't go, wow, magic. No, you go, all right, CGI. Yeah. There are some moments... Right, this is the most spoilery I will get. If you've read the script then this will not be a surprise to you, but Polyjuice transformations happen on stage. Wow. Travelling by flu happens on stage. Wand work. That sounds like euphemistic. Um, <laughs> what was one of the other ones that really got me? It's okay. There was one effect that is something that happens in the movies, and I'm not going to say what it is, but they replicated it on stage, and it looked better on stage than it did in the films. See, this is really interesting to me because my fear about um, the Cursed Child mm-hmm. is it's a brand name. We're going to charge way, like way too much for two plays because we can, and we're going to take up some theatre space to keep. Our, our brand and our franchise running but it sounds like this is actually a a way to put stage special effects and mm-hmm. put on just a really good show and make people want to go see it yeah i mean if you haven't read the books or seen the films one or the other there is definitely elements of the plot that are going to be confusing but if you're a harry potter fan um you will uh definitely sort of know what's going on Mm. there's some excellent merch though i have some uh quibbles with their choice of colors for the hufflepuff and ravenclaw merchandise (coughs) which is frequently my issue with them and i will say to its credit um and i appreciate it's currently sold out but next time a block of tickets go on sale i was up in the top circle our tickets were 15 pound each for each night and that was it and we had slightly restricted view but basically what that meant was due to the lip of the balcony we couldn't see like maybe the first couple of feet of the lip of the stage and that really didn't that only really affected a couple of moments in the play i find that when you sit down in your seat you are going i can't see that tiny corner of the stage this is ruined this is awful as soon as and then you realize oh i guess you don't actually use that tiny lip corner of the stage yeah um i actually have some other couple of questions yeah. about just theater in general so oh, I've, never, yeah. I've never been to a play and then part two mm-hmm. the Saltwing day how was that was the vibe on the second night different it was very interesting because I, I met a couple of people in the in the queue for the toilets who had been it was two weeks ago that they'd seen part one and so for them obviously it wasn't as fresh in their minds mm. And yeah, that it is, especially for part two, there was this great sort of everybody was in it together. Like mm. we all knew what had happened and what we'd all experienced the same cliffhanger. And we were coming back together just to share in that moment again. And I found that for actually parts one and two. And there's something about a fandom experience, but because everybody was drawing on the same pool of reference, there were a couple of beats plot-wise, and when they happened, the audience reaction 
was something of pure joy to me because everyone was just like at the same instant everyone was like <gasps> and it was like this is the best like that the audience really moving as one it was because it's not just a play it's a, a geeky it's an experience yeah it, the only thing I can think of that's close is I went to see like the Doctor Who 50th anniversary mm. at the cinema yeah so there was a real like mm-hmm. over excitement at any reference or whatever yeah. um I have another question. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe this, you can say if you can only answer the spoilers. Yeah. When it was announced, mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling said, there is a reason why this can't be a film or a book. And that the story that, I mean, she actually didn't write it. Mm. Um, the writers are the people adapting um, his dark materials for the BBC. I'm feeling very good about that. Then. Okay, cool. Um, and... She she just basically approved what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that it needs to be a play. Was that marketing buzz? Or do you think there is a real reason? I think The Cursed Child was written with the intent that it was going to be a play. And so certain aspects of it are very tied into that. But it, I think it was also, like we said before, part of it was done to showcase these amazing... Um, effects that they created and I don't think it would work I I think there's also an element of something being impressive mm-hmm. so recently there was um, a musical based on Groundhog Day yeah and to mention right that one yeah. yeah and they said yeah it works as a film it's a lot more impressive when these are actors performing this live and mm-hmm. have to rehearse this all um, I, I'm not going to give spoilers away but I do know part one and part two take place in slightly Different. Hamish is I'm, sort wa- of I'm waving, waving my his hands, hands away. In small what I'm trying to say is that it might, as films, there's a certain element that might not be as impressive as seeing actors knowing two plays inside out and performing them, mm. like sometimes in the same day, don't they? I, th- I they might sometimes do it like a matinee slash <coughs> evening performance. Um, I feel like maybe there's uh, not a story reason why there simply couldn't ever possibly be a film or a thing, but maybe mm. that wasn't the point. It's Yeah. It's creating an experience. Mm. It sounds really interesting, and I would love to see it. I do, if you can get tickets next time they release a batch, do. I need to um, get on the some kind of feed or whatever, or yeah. alert. I'll keep you posted. Oh, thank you. That's okay. Um, Theatre is, is, is Jade's thing. So. <laughs> you're talking to about yourself for the third I person. I know. Right? I'm just sort of just like I'm on the verge of going on a wistful journey into my mind. Third person talking is kind of interesting because I keep accidentally talking about my role playing characters. It's just I do this. This is me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're very good at saying she or he did this. And mm. I will say quickly before I start asking you about what you're currently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really nice touch because we were obviously planning to stream, but before we began playing. Um, our DM asked everybody what their pronouns were and what their characters' pronouns were. And we had two guys playing male characters. We had a girl playing a female character. And then we had myself, a non-binary person, playing a female character. And we had another player, uh, a woman, playing a non-binary character. Mm. And it was just... It was a very nice touch, a very small thing. And when I was having technical issues, everybody was just referring to me by my correct pronouns. And this is why I like dealing with strangers sometimes in a queer setting more than I like dealing with people I know who get my pronouns wrong. But that's a rant for another day. Well, no, uh, it makes sense. Um, Hamish, what are you geeking out about at the moment? Well, I'm playing a lot of video games recently. You're so boring. No, it's fine. <laughs> Tell I'm, me everything. I'm going to be um, talking more about uh, the Nintendo Switch, uh, which just came out. Um, Have you tried to put a cartridge in your mouth yet? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, um, but someone else did on my behalf. Um, so I brought it into work. I had to pick it up on my way to work. Yeah. Someone else did that same thing, and we both were storing ours secretly under the table. And um, he was the one that got his out <laughs> at lunch. Yeah. Um, and yep, there was a bit of a tasting thing, and he said he didn't notice anything, but. At home, Justin held one of the cartridges, put it mm-hmm. down, and then like licked yeah. his thumb and then go, and that's when he got the taste. 
and it is bad, but it's very subtle. It's enough. It's a smart move. I one of the reasons I love Nintendo is they always think of these little. They're very aware that very mm-hmm. young kids are going to be playing these games, um, and I don't think there's any shame in that. Whereas I think maybe the other companies do have like parental stuff, but for sure. I think also because these cartridges are tiny. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm anyway. going to talk about it in a second. I'm actually going to talk about a different game. Um, it's a game I kickstart. I helped kickstart. Um, I think three or four years ago, three years ago, mm-hmm. um, and it all just sort of came out of nowhere. That it, now it's out. Uh, it's called Night in the Woods. Yeah. Um, it's. I don't even know how to describe it. It's got the strangest vibe. What sort of genre of game is it? I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Well, then, is it like is it like a side scroller? Is it like an open world thing? Okay, it's a side scroller. You okay. play as these very um, you play as these animals, mm-hmm. uh, anthropomorphic kind of um, animals. I would describe it as a weird mix between Zootopia, Scott Pilgrim, and like something really depressing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> It so basically you play as May, who's um a cat. And what's odd is that none of the animals refer to themselves as animals at all. Okay. They seem to be you seem to be playing as people's like fursonas in a way. Um and she moves uh she's just dropped out of college. Yeah. Um she moves back in with her parents mm-hmm. and tries to kind of rekindle the friendships from high school. Yeah. Um but everyone's kind of moving on. And it's side scrolling. You just walk around. Every the, the game is a day. A, a, a day you wake up. You hang out with your friends. You do little things. You do band practice. Um, you stay up late, and then you go home and go to sleep. And then it's the next day. Okay. And I'm not, I haven't completed it, and I'm sort of slowly going through the story, and it's it's made me feel sad and sleepy and. Um, it's so weird. I kind of, I, I really love it. And the writing's really great. Um, one of the reasons I'm talking about it on this podcast mm-hmm. is Night in the Woods was actually featured on TV Tropes list of the gay best friend. Ah. Um, and it said subverts it. And I was like avoiding spoilers. So I didn't want to know. Yeah. Um, but you play as May and your best friend is a fox in a leather jacket called Greg who works at, like, a 7-Eleven. You guys can't say this, but I am delighted by everything so far. Greg um, lives with his boyfriend, uh, Angus, who mm-hmm. is a bear in... who always wears kind of, like, jumpers and collared shirts and has, a, like, a hat on all the I time. I ship it. He's quite... The thing is... <sighs> you don't need to ship it. The whole story mm-hmm. is about how May's... May coming back into their life is maybe slightly causing tension in Greg and Angus's relationship. All right. And it's one of the best ever bits of representation I've ever seen. When the game starts off, and when I was kickstarting and updating it, they kept on saying, like, oh, Greg and Angus, they're great and they're in love. And I thought, that's really cool. I love that it's really canon and they're like the main characters. There's essentially four main characters. Yeah, apologies, um, guys, if you're picking up on some weird noise from outside. <laughs> I, I don't know if you can hear it. I can hear it. We I'm... voted window open today as an experiment. Yeah, um, so... Our, our, I think it's a our, plane going overhead. Our comfort is your slight confusion at noises. Okay. Um, But when I... So I thought it would be... I've talked before, I think, about how... I'm, I like... All representation over none, mm-hmm. but I get a bit tired of super perfect gay couples who have no flaws. Yeah. Um, but, like, at the point I am in the game right now, and this game is very um, non-linear, so these could be spoilers, but you could play the whole game and maybe this doesn't happen to you. All right. But um, May, my character, wants to just hang out with Greg like they did in high school, and this involves... Um, getting into knife fights with each other and beating up cars and smoking and they call they always say like hey greg want to do some crimes they like <laughs> there's like shoplifting elements and things all right these aren't great people yeah um and greg is sort of going all in yeah saying like oh yeah it's just like old times and then is like actually i think i'm an adult now 
I think things are different. And Angus has had a big fight at me and my relationship with my parents is like straining and being weird and I have to like apologize for things I did. And it's just like, I, this is what I said, I don't know what genre it is because it's kind of like a life sim. Yeah. But it is trying, I think it's just trying to tell a story. That's really interesting. Um, How's the voice acting? There is no voice acting. Oh, okay. It's all text. Um, the So another element I really love is that clearly someone making this game, I don't actually know the people that well, um, is... I feel that a lot of people's life experiences have gone into this game. Yeah. Um, and it just captures certain feelings, very specific feelings, very well, like not knowing... Um, uh, not knowing your friend's partner as much as you want to. Mm-hmm. Like, that feeling when, oh, I'm hanging out with um, my best friend's boyfriend. I don't really know him that well. Yeah. And so you have these kind of weird late-night conversations of Angus being like, oh, hey. And he's like, hi. And then you start <laughs> opening up and he, everyone's got these great backstories. And At the moment where I am in the game, Greg and Angus are talking a lot about how they're thinking of moving away. All right. And we asked them why, and we said, we're the only queer people in the town, and we'll never feel completely comfortable here. And I wasn't expecting that kind of level of, oh, wow, someone making this game has experienced this. Yeah. And it's it's just making me so moved. And I've not talked about... um, you have another friend called Beatrice and all these other characters. I'm sure there's all, I for sure people are relating to these other characters in the same way. Mm-hmm. Everyone you meet, it just feels like a complete character. That's wonderful. It's interesting because the game essentially is just walking sideways and jumping and yeah. it's quite simple. Yeah. And it's nice playing a game where the, you know, I kickstarted this several years ago. Yeah. All that time has been spent, I think, scripting it and making it yeah. like as real and... Mm good as possible where can is it can you get it on steam just if people yep it is available on steam and i've been playing it on the playstation um it's available on both i think it's about 17 pounds mm-hmm. um i kick i don't know because i kick-started it and i yeah. think i got it a few days early but um it is now out everywhere i feel it's really good cool uh one thing to quickly cycle back to one issue I had with the cursed child in terms of story mm-hmm. is I found it to be incredibly heteronormative. Um we all know well I say we all know anyone that's read Harry Potter is aware of the epilogue and the heteronormativity there. I feel like the relationship between a couple of the characters is so very interesting and I feel they missed an opportunity to maybe um, I don't want to say correct the mistake, though part of me does feel like it is that, but to expand, it's something we've talked about before with the Harry Potter universe, but I feel like there was an opportunity there to do right by the massive queer audience that those that universe has, and they didn't, and that was very frustrating. The epilogue, I don't, I've never felt is necessarily a satisfying way to end the story for the people that grew up reading it where mm-hmm. they want change and yeah to not be like their parents and yeah um it feels like maybe this takes place just in the world of that epilogue and continues those ideas a little bit more than i would have liked <coughs> but that's not to say it isn't enjoyable but just as if i was a straight person it probably wouldn't have bothered me but i ain't <laughs> and so it did but we're done talking about Cursed Child. Oh. Um, what, have you, what else have you been geeking out about? So I have talked about a certain trio of brothers before on this <laughs> podcast. Me and my two brothers, Rory and Harry. Um, we have talked about those, but that it, it, specifically I'm talking about uh, known podcasters, the McElroys. Mm-hmm. And um, we're now in March, aren't we? So in February, their, um, their TV show. Uh, my brother, my brother and me, uh, went live on CISO, which is a US-only streaming service. I have done much wailing and gnashing of teeth about this fact. That said, 
uh, they released an entire episode on YouTube, uh, CISO did, and there's been a couple of clips and they've actually been quite generous with that. And I have also borrowed a friend's login and used VPNs to watch all of the episodes myself, which is a totally legal thing to do. And so I have seen the entire series and I adore it. Um, I'm a big fan of the McElroy's sense of humour because it's interesting. There's been obviously a lot of press with the release of the show and they talk about how at the end of the day, if anyone is the butt of the joke, it's them Mm. and how they've strived to never alienate people with their humour. And the couple of times they've had, they've felt awful about it. Like their fans have turned around and said, hey, I really love your work, but this thing you said really upset me. And they, every time that's happened, they've gone, oh, well, I don't want to do that again. And I feel that the three of them are very aware they come from a place of privilege. And they sort of are constantly aware of that. And so their humour comes from a very unique place I feel for three white boys from America and the show it, the the TV show is very much an extension of the spirit of the podcast which is sort of this loose chaotic good energy mm. um because you've seen the episode <coughs> uh, that's on YouTube because yeah tarantulas and, and Travis, Travis, does did, Travis does a hit and uh yeah it just makes me incredibly happy and, incred- and it's incredibly quotable I just, um, I just really enjoy the dynamic that the three of them have, and as a kind of humour, I find it very refreshing and enjoyable. And I'm a big person on on sibling feels and fa- hmm. found family is not what this is, but to see people riffing together, and it always comes from such a good place with them. I, I think with comedy, people need to remember that actually doing comedy that doesn't you know no one's the butt of the joke and everyone likes it's actually quite hard Mm -hmm. the the problem one of the problems with offensive humor is that it's easy um even if you are personally not offended by something it's it comes across as lazy and Mm -hmm. not thought through and if you want to do comedy you've got to make a decision do i want this to be something i work hard on yeah or is it something i want to do but does is pretty easy and i just take the credit for if you know what I mean mm. so I feel their type of comedy I don't want people to brush off like the idea that they are just trying to like doing pandering like kind of no. humor or anything it's like no it, they work really hard they're yeah they are very good comedians yes um I've only watched the one episode yes I think I've mentioned Travis McElroy as like a strange um uh someone i relate to a lot on a lot of levels yeah you uh, recommended me in terabang his other podcast one of his other one podcasts. of his other podcasts <laughs> um a specific episode because he he talks about mental health in a way that really helps me um and also i am very arachnophobic i was gonna say how was that for you um i was fine i didn't i didn't was it very hashtag relatable very hashtag relatable um the only rule yeah. in my relationship with my husband yes. is if he ever touches me like a spider <laughs> or pretends he's got one in his hands and th- and throws it, instant divorce. Okay. Instant divorce. And that's like in writing. So we can do it. We can say at court, this is, he, he agreed to this. Um... But and also he's Australian and I have to go there and that's when spiders are bad. Yeah, <laughs> so, they're all trying to kill you. All the wildlife in there is trying to kill you. So in the first episode of My Brother, My Brother, Me, me they um, uh, the focus is tarantulas. Yeah, which Travis hates. And I love how they share that. This is not a goof. This is not a bit. Mm. Travis genuinely hates spiders. Yeah. It was a... Uh, but... I do recommend it if if you're an American listener, do check it out. You can get like a week's trial for free mm-hmm. uh, with CISO. They've got lots of good content. Uh, if you're in the UK, if you're anywhere other than the US, like I see most of our listener bases, watch the YouTube video. Watch it on YouTube. Watch it. Watch the legit versions. 
and message CISO politely, just like would love to access more of your content. A lot of it's a licensing issue because they're a streaming service run by NBC yeah. and they've got like all of Parks and Rec and like lots of Saturday Night Live, but they have like British shows as well. So I feel like it is, it's an, it's going to be an issue with licensing the same way that Netflix is available in different, different shows in different places. But yeah, so see what you can do some UK based numbers show that there's an audience and check it out and check out the podcast it's also the it's i found getting people into any of their podcasts a little bit tough because mm-hmm. it's quite a solitary thing yeah um whereas i've shown many people um the travis does a hit yeah. clip and that's kind of instantly made them get the McElroy's and that sense of humor and I think it's a lot easier way to get people on board. Yeah, well, it's easier to respond to a visual medium, isn't mm. it? Plus, it's just that act of sharing. Yeah. But yeah. So, Hamish, what's the other video game that you want to talk about? Um, on Friday, Nintendo launched its brand new console, the Switch, um, which I bought because I have a kind of pact with... Uh, not Satan, but, uh, but with Mario, where I promise to always get Nintendo's consoles on launch, which always means a kind of, they're always quite secretive about launch dates, which means like a panicked um, selling of my organs and, <laughs> not organs, I sell a lot of games and things and try and like be able to afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I bought it and it's, the, the console itself is pretty incredible. It's... <coughs> A um, middle ground between a handheld console and a one you play on the TV. Mm-hmm. I've actually brought it with me. I did a trial run of how I feel taking it on a train. Because it's, it's no more expensive than a, a lot of phones or iPads or laptops. But for some reason, bringing it on a train feels scary. Because mm-hmm. it shouldn't be. It's like bringing an Xbox on a train. <laughs> it's really weird. Um, it's very sleek. Lovely. Mm-hmm. And the big launch title was The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Have you ever played a Zelda game? No. That's fine. I'd like to. I'm familiar with the Zelda franchise mm. in so much as I'm familiar with the big franchise. I, like, I know who the people are. I know who like the key players are, mm. like the key players involved in the game. And I know the big scary moon from Majora's Mask. <laughs> and, I, and, I know Ocarina, and I know of Ocarina of Time. And I know Wolf Link, and I know the little asshole fairy creature. Like this is my extent of <laughs> Zelda. That's cool. That's fine. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, this this new Zelda game. Um, I was a bit scared of it because the week before it came out, the sort of review embargo went down, mm-hmm. and it was getting consistent ten out of tens. Oh wow! And like five stars and best game. Of That's all time. gotta be unusual. And. That made me more scared than if it kind of got a nice... Average, above average. Yeah, like an eights and nines. Mm -hmm. (coughs) But it was like across the board. So I seeked out bad reviews. Sought out. Sought out. Sorry. That's fine, thank you. I'm an asshole. No, thank you. Um, And I I found some like four stars and like nine out of tens. And... um, Felt a little better? Yeah, no, it was interesting. I do think it has a few little problems yeah but they're so minor compared to um it's an experience like no other so the term open world games yeah gets used a lot um i think this might this feels like one of the few times it's really been done justice that term Mm -hmm. there's no mountain or anything that you can see that you can't climb up Oh, wow. Or explore. And a game came out last year called No Man's Sky. Yes, I recall. (laughs) Had a bit of a controversial launch. And their big thing was, we've created an entire universe of planets. And you can go to every single planet and explore the entire planet. You can do that. Um, However, (coughs) apologies. Um, Their... Their planets are kind of made up on the spot. They they've created an algorithm that like just creates these planets when you land. Yeah. Um and that means that because no one's designed this, it's so random and ends up feeling very pointless very quickly. Yeah. You sort of see, oh, what's over the horizon? 
more rocks that have just randomly generated. And whereas in this new version of Hyrule, which is massive, when I'm exploring, I really do like discover things, and it's filled with strange people, and um, there's elements of repetition. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's kind of goals. One of the things that's kind of interesting about this game is technically you can complete it in about three hours Mm -hmm. if you are very skilled and really want to. Um, After the first kind of vague tutorial element, um, there's a guy and goes, all right, that's where the end boss is. Uh, (laughs) And then just like shrugs and like, you know, save the, save the day link. Um, And I've heard some people have gone and like been so skilled and whatever but then I feel like they're not really getting their money's worth. That's not the reason you buy this game. Yeah. Um, I've been exploring and discovering things and going in the opposite direction to what it's telling me to and finding all kinds of interesting environments. And um, I don't know, it's weird because like, I can't... I don't want to give anyone spoilers, but again, a bit like Night in the Woods, I have no idea if you'll ever even come across this. Yeah. So I I went to the middle of a river where there was a little island, mm-hmm. um, and it was filled with flowers, and I, as soon as I stepped on one, this woman came out of nowhere and said, I've spent all day planting these, don't you dare step on them. So I had to do this weird little... Um, maze of walking around flowers mm-hmm. um, and I got the like chest in the middle of it all so I just started running back and when I stood on flowers three times she just freaked out and like attacked me and left me almost for dead <laughs> and that's just like little this is why you shouldn't be an asshole. yeah like it's a game I feel it's different I won't be like rushing to complete it I think I'll be spending my time but That's yeah, if you cool. want people's opinions on it, just go follow anyone involved in video games on Twitter or stuff because it's a big one right now. Yeah. Um, but cool. everything to do with the Switch is quite expensive, so yeah, I feel um, everything's going to come down on price. I have a suspicion this is like a soft launch, mm-hmm. like for the Nintendo diehards, and then yeah, at Christmas they'll bring down prices and for sure. have deals and things. Makes sense. <clears throat> so yeah, that's what I've been currently playing and what I will continue to play at any given moment. <laughs> <laughs> so is Overwatch booted off the uh, top spot? For well, now? Overwatch, I think I will be... <gasps> I want you there's a new character, there isn't is there? There is a new character. I, um, I don't think she's been downloaded yet to my... I think they're still testing her. Yeah. So I think maybe next Geek Out Catch-Up I might be talking about how much I love um, scary beetle robot woman created by a 10-year-old. <laughs> like... I was going to say, I've seen a little bit of fan art so far and I'm very intrigued. So Yeah. It's so interesting how each new character just fills a gap in the types of players you didn't think needed filling. Yeah. Um, That's really cool. So, yeah. maybe next time. Maybe next time. Do you have... I do. Your next... I do. Um, <coughs> when I saw my ladies who I see theatre with every every February, it's sort of become a thing. This is who I saw Cursed Child with. I also got my belated uh, belated Christmas present uh, from my friend Stephanie, uh, and it was a bunch of graphic novels that have been on my Amazon wish list for. Oh, nice. I'm not entirely sure how long, but um, one of them I didn't even remember that I'd put on my uh, wish list, and I'd. Not even sure what prompted me to do it in the first place. It's probably something I saw on Tumblr. Uh, but it's by uh, Brian K. Vaughan, who's the writer of Saga, amongst other things. I've, I think everything I've read of his, I've enjoyed. Um, the art is by uh, Cliff, I'm going to probably pronounce him, but Chang or Chang. It's called Paper Girls. And to give, it's, uh, to give the little blurb off the back, because I have the graphic novel in my hands... Um, in the early hours after Halloween of 1988, four 12-year-old newspaper delivery girls uncover the most important story of all time. Suburban drama and supernatural mysteries collide in this smash hit series about nostalgia, first jobs and the last days of childhood. And the uh, anim- uh, the art style is really cool. Uh, the colouring and lettering, obviously, uh, by Matt Wilson and Jared Fletcher is really cool. Uh, but I don't, I don't know too much about comics to appreciate beyond the oh cool this is really dynamic or this is really interesting i'm all about one the characters and this is for kick-ass 12 year olds who are 
all feel very distinct as characters, uh, two of whom are um, girls of colour, which is really cool. Um, one of the white girls is Jewish, and it does, but it also doesn't feel like they've gone, right, okay, I need one of these people and one of these people and one of these people. They all feel very realised as characters, and they've all got very different sort of personalities. And it's got a really sort of fun sci-fi vibe going on. Um, if you like Stranger Things, you will like this. Mm. Like, it's also nothing like Stranger Things, in <laughs> Which is really nice. But yeah, it, it's very cool. And I like the 80s fashion. So just I like seeing it realised. Mm. But I don't have a whole lot to say about because I really don't want to give anything away about the plot. Because I, no, I have no fucking idea what's going on. I've read this and I'm like, I need volume two because I have <laughs> no... I, I really want to know what the fuck is going on. Volume ones, I feel, often are focused on character and yeah. setting. and Which is always a great way to get me. Yeah. Because like a plot can be shit, but if I like the characters, <laughs> I, like, I will be I, there. I'm enjoying this because it feels like a book club. <laughs> um, this is the thing I'm really into. We should do. We could do a book club episode. I need to read a book then. Uh, we can make it, do a graphic novel episode. Graphic novels and um, tabletop system rule book <laughs> book club. <laughs> we may surpass our own <laughs> levels of nerdydom. It's great. Um, should I talk about something? Something I've been intrigued about yeah no please do um by the time this airs which is only going to be a week or so after yeah um, we record it um uh, kong skull island will have come out and i will have seen it mm-hmm. um this is part two of legendary pictures monster verse mm-hmm. um their attempt at a cinematic universe like marvel or dc and Mm-hmm. seemingly everyone these days um and i'm int- i'm interested in it um but i'm also intrigued by the fact that it's essentially in some ways godzilla too yeah um and i'm going to talk briefly because i don't think i've actually mentioned this yet on the podcast we mentioned it briefly when talking about colossal mm-hmm. last uh no box box pop yeah um but i my 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 <sighs> First fandom, forever fandom. First fandom in the sense of the first lady. The, the I don't think it's my first fandom. I think I was playing Mario and stuff. Yeah. Since I can remember, but it's the one that... I think it's the one that defines me. Mm-hmm. Um, it got, so kaiju and giant monster movies from Japan are the reason I like went on the internet and joined forums and um, kind of started wearing nerdiness and realising nerdiness was like a defining trait about me. Um, and King Kong isn't exactly my favourite and is kind of debated as his kaiju status seeing as he's from um, an American movie alright but there's like um, so (laughs) in the 60s uh, Toho makes Godzilla movies made Godzilla versus made King Kong versus Godzilla Mm -hmm. Um, and after that they made another King Kong movie themselves yeah um, so King Kong's seen as a part of the kind of Godzilla yeah, mythology family. anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I uh, There's things I would change about the way they're handling Godzilla in America, but I generally liked the um, 2014 movie. Mm-hmm. It had, it, when I saw it, I saw it like opening morning. Because um, no. I'd never seen a Godzilla film at the cinema before. Yeah. And it was a big moment for me. Um, my, I came out of that film thinking, um, I love that. That was such a good Godzilla film. Loads of people are going to hate this. Um, the main criticism I had is that Godzilla wasn't in it enough and that, um, but he, it kind of followed the structure of most Godzilla films. You kind of focus more on the, um, monster he's going to fight showing how bad they are, showing how evil and sort of teasing Godzilla and they might have a little scuffle yeah. and it all kind of builds up to a final battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting about Kong Skull Island, and if you want to see what my opinions are about it, just sort of check my Twitter feed <laughs> next weekend. Well, last, just check my Twitter feed. Um, I will be talking about it. Is that I think they have responded a lot to the criticism of Godzilla. Oh, that's cool. Um, it seems like 
the title monsters in it quite a lot. Yeah. Um, the characters seem to be a lot funnier, mm-hmm. um, more interesting in general. Is it a contemporary setting? It is, is it? Because I think I remember seeing like big helicopters in the... Yeah, it's actually set during the Vietnam War. Okay. Um, which is interesting. Um, in the Godzilla 2014 film, they mention how there's this kind of organisation called Monarch, who um, their like, priority is Godzilla, but they study all kind of giant monsters. Uh. They've... Uh, uh, their term for kaiju is MUTO, mm-hmm. Massive Unidentified Terrestrial Organism, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a weird term. But in one of the trailers for Kong, they've mentioned, like, oh, there's a MUTO on that island, and John Goodman's playing someone from Monarch. Um, oh, John Goodman. John Goodman. Love John I love. Goodman. Really need to see 10 Cloverfield. It's also got um, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, um, I know about Tiddles. Brie Larson. Um, and the person I'm looking forward to is John C. Riley, who I love in everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hasn't uh, he been living on the island a while? Isn't that the yeah, impression I got he's, from the trailer? He's sort of named all of the monsters there, and has um, he's kind of one thing. So one thing I'm kind of interested in is that the the ugly uh, aspect you always have to deal with in a King Kong film is the handling of the Skull Island natives. Yeah, the indigenous people, and. I've te- tended to only seen them done as massive, outdated caricatures, or even like in Peter Jackson's version, they are kind of monstrous in a sort of uncomfortable way where they don't seem to, they seem to function like animals. Yeah. Um, whereas apparently in this version, they are much more the sympathetic. Uh, people. I feel in this film that it's much more about you shouldn't have gone to Skull Island it has its own way of working. And you're upsetting the balance. You're upsetting. They're, they're characterising King Kong less as a kind of lonely giant dude who wants to hold a tiny lady mm-hmm. and more as um the defender of his patch. King, yeah. And they're kind of messing it yeah. up. Um, which is fun because so many kaiju films have like a really sloppily obvious environmental message which um, yeah it feels like the people making these legendary monster films at least appreciate mm-hmm. um because godzilla fan, fans were a little bit hurt before when the godzilla 1998 american film um the director was very clear like godzilla films are crap right let's um to totally rewrite the character and like you know, that's not a great way to win over fans. I think no. that's quite a 90s way of adapting things. Yeah. It's just all like, let's take this tra- terrible thing and make it cool. Whereas um, everyone involved in these films... Um, it seems to be coming from a place of love. Yeah, and appreciation. And I think they want to stay on Toho's side mm-hmm. because they're very protective about their characters now. Yeah. Um, they only gave them Godzilla... And then because they treated them well in the 2014 film, they've given them Mothra and King Ghidorah and all these other sort of big mm. characters who... So that's why I'm... That's, I, whenever I'm talking about this, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost... Um, yeah. We have, uh, we have to thank Legendary Pictures, actually. Uh, give them a brave shout out, because Legendary Pictures made Pacific Rim, without yeah. which Hamish and I would not have met. So that is true. Legendary um, Pictures is always going to have a bit of a. They've they've become the kind of I think Pacific Rim is se- definitely separate in its own universe, mm-hmm. um, but they've definitely become the kind of. They are the monster movie people. The now. monster movie people, and when I went to see Hidden Figures recently, um, a bit of me smiled at the fact that the two big posters at the cinema had for March was Kong and Power Rangers. Yeah, and while Power Rangers, I'm a lot less enthused by the choices being made yeah um it does seem to be ringing a bit too close to that kind of 90s idea um i i as someone who spent a childhood having to kind of justify why i like godzilla films and like not people not really knowing what Mm. it was it is nice to see kind of kaiju stuff coming back a little bit and um just being in the public eye and being made with love rather than yeah which is great so, good times. So, while we're talking about upcoming movies, 
we uh, we debated about whether or not to talk about this, but it's it's big. It's being talked about a lot at the moment, so we it's thought for us to ignore. Yeah, given the nature of the news that was released, we are going to wrap up uh, today's catch up by talking about the Beauty and the Beast live adaption. That's coming live action adaption. Oh, that's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> live action adaption. <laughs> And the recent reveal from the creators that that LeFou, played by Josh Gad, is going to be Disney's first openly gay character. Before you talk about what you know, Mm -hmm. I want to talk about just briefly my initial reaction to that. Please do. Um, Speaking as a... As I hate to... I hate to put a label on you, but speaking as a a gay man as well. Because... Sorry, before I let you get into it, something we have to stress is that there are very specific experiences unique to certain identities. And while you can't use, I am, for example, a queer non-binary person, so I can speak for every queer experience, I can comment on something, but if something I am looking at is the experience of a gay man, I'm not a gay man... So I can't necessarily yeah. be expected to understand it or empathise in the way that somebody who is could, if that makes if that follows. Yeah. So I did see a post talking about on Tumblr saying this is why LeFou is bad. And it was written by someone who identified with she her pronouns and I think was bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um and What's interesting is that when I saw the um, when I saw the news, I was quite excited. Yeah. And I was my instant gut reaction was happiness. Um because to me it is I thought it was quite a universal experience for gay men to have infatuation with straight men which are a toxic and unhealthy and but something that's quite common and inevitable. And I was very intrigued and supportive of Disney um, doing uh, changing LeFou from a kind of uh, unsympathetic comic relief antagonist to being someone who did bad things, but ultimately was... um, I I thought when... Because they said there's going to be an exclusively gay moment... I assumed that would be LeFou's going to be in love with Gaston. He's going to reveal, he's going to realise he's actually bad and in some way at the end suggest, oh, I just maybe like men and, I don't know, would kiss someone or have a moment with someone. Or I don't know. I, I had very optimistic and positive feelings. Mm-hmm. And then I expressed these all quite like, um, quickly, yeah, and then realized, oh, I don't think a single other person is excited about this. And I read a lot of articles, and my viewpoint has changed. My viewpoint is still a. I don't want to respond to every bit of LGBT um, representation news with outright anger instantly, because I don't think companies like Disney are smart enough to realize the difference between people angry because they're homophobic and people angry because they aren't doing the representation right and i'm i'm worried their response will be we won't try that again mm-hmm. and they know all that does is cause controversy and make pe- make both sides want to boycott this yeah um i always want to hope for the best and b i hate how much praise we give characters like, you know, Poe and Finn and saying, well done, Disney, you've given us the gays we want and sending that vibe and they can profit off of it without making it canon. And I'm sick of queer coded villains and not just gay characters. I, I saw so many gay people responding to LeFou's terrible. We don't want this. Like, and people saying it's the first gay character in Disney, that's bad. Don't you remember Scar and Jafar and things like that? And I'm like, yeah. no, they're not gay. They they're are They're using queer coding to, as to suggest villainy. 
Mm-hmm. And it, so, while I, I'm going to let you talk about the specifics about why it's wrong, mm. if you want to. Yeah. Um, while I do agree with that now, I went on a bit of a journey with this news. I think that's um, healthy. And I don't think it's as it's as it's bad and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to put one little C at the end of my ABC, yeah. which is just, I don't think before knowing how it's done, I wished it hadn't have been announced because I mm. feel people respond a lot better to, oh, was that a gay moment? Oh my God. Was that in a Disney? Oh, okay. Let's talk about this. Then hello, we here at Disney have been trailblazing for decades. <laughs> and right now we're continuing that tradition with LeFou, our first gay character who you're all going to adore because we're so progressive. Give us our kudos and write your, where's our GLAAD awards? Write your That articles. is exactly where I, that point C is very much sort of where I am in a headspace about it. I, um, I saw an article because uh, they've obviously had press screenings. Yes. Uh, somebody talking about this exclusively gay moment. I'm assuming by that they mean something that couldn't possibly read be read as anything else. I feel exclusively gay moment feels like the new gal pals or the new something. Yeah. It's like it's like a phrase that I want to I wanna... use on other things as like yeah yeah. Personally, I want to attack it. With, I want to attack <laughs> it with a blowtorch. <laughs> yeah. But um. And they were trying. They were going through what they'd seen, trying to say, "Oh well, it might be this, or it might be this, or it might be this." And I won't say specifics because I don't want to spoil it. And I just like, but based on what that article was saying, just like they really would have been better not saying anything at all because what they're touting as this great thing is not coming across that way. And if they had just let it go through and then after the fact said, yeah, no, we very much had this in mind that LeFou was is a gay man, that would rankle me less, significantly less. Um, I think if an article's trying to work out what this moment was, yeah. that's not an exclusively gay moment. And that's no, not- and this is what we've talked about on the podcast before, is if, if a moment can be missed... If it can be written off by an audience that doesn't want to see it, then it's probably not working as a as a moment of representation. What I when that news came out, my reaction wasn't immediate anger. My my first reaction was, really, okay. And um, I've since seen articles uh, the direct what the director has said is like, oh this is tribute to sort of Howard Ashman who very much was right wrote the original wrote the mu- the music and songs for uh, the original Beauty and the Beast from as the, from the perspective of a gay man it's about queer themes of being isolated within your community and finding that kinship and finding and being true to yourself and I've seen some backlash against that from maybe younger people who don't understand that. And we've talked before about the difference between doing things for kudos or saying things after the fact as, as pseudo queer representation. Whereas this was, there's a difference between writing from a place of where you aren't allowed to be open, where Disney were at a less enlightened point in their existence. And using your experiences, even exactly. when telling other types of stories. Exactly that. And I'm going to wrap, trying not to ramble too much. People have detailed a list of reasons and it's been very concise about why LeFou being the first openly billed gay character is problematic. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't have used the word problematic. Yeah. I want to hurt myself. Problematic jar. Um, I, my problem... We should, we should get a problematic jar. <laughs> One of my problems with those kinds of lists yes. is that I think the priority is getting a long list. Yeah. And some of them are a bit of a reach. Yes, no, no, I agree. And I'm not going to delve too far into that list because there are some things on there I just found were genuinely unrealistic. Uh, I'm not going to go into details because I want to throw shade at uh, the person who wrote it, but things like a character that's named by definition is the fool or the idiot, a character that is a villain or antagonistic to... And regardless of... I do agree with something that I've heard you say about... Um, being 
okay, that ability to love is what humanizes a character. And I do feel that is much more significant than a queer coded but ultimately straight villain. I do feel that's mm. better. What my objection is to them, as we've said, this maybe they shouldn't have made a big we don't think they should have made a big song and dance about it in the first place. But I feel like if they had wanted to do due diligence to that, by all means, they could have made this thing with LeFou very clear. But I don't think this should have been the first time Disney have gone, look at what we did. Aren't we progressive? Especially no. when there were opportunities within the film, like people saying, well, who would you have made gay? Lumiere and Cogsworth. Well, See, yeah. I... As, a, as a gay kid, I never read that because the thing, as them as a couple, because... Yeah. Lumiere to me, the image that always sticks in my mind is it's him, him in the feather duster. Him in the feather duster, and Cogsworth to me reads as like fifty years older than Lumiere. Yeah, I mean, um, I I feel like when you try and find a gay character in Beauty and the Beast, there's one character obsessed with another man, yeah. singing songs about him, mm-hmm. and I feel it's 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 like the whole Smithers and Mister Burns thing. Yeah, but I feel the problem is. With Smithers, technically, he's kind of a villain because he goes along with all of Mr. Burns' horrible schemes. Mm-hmm. But his infatuation with Mr. Burns, I think, is the thing that saves him. Yeah. Smithers isn't a queer-coded villain in the sense that um, his queerness is what makes him strange and evil. No. Which is why I will hit people when they say that Jafar and Scar are like good, better gay representation. they're not. When it's like, no, they're effeminate, uh, flamboyant, vain straight aspects. quote. And they're meant to be straight. And they also flirt with the women. Oh, aggressively sexual yeah, with, with women. women. Um, I feel with Smithers, the fact that he is a, has love mm. for someone is the element that makes him feel like he can be saved. Yeah. And I feel like LeFou is like, got one step in that. Mm-hmm. And one in, but they're still far more aggressive and evil and yes. on the same side. Um, and even if they hadn't done it with Beauty and the Beast and, for example, Lumiere and Cogsworth, because just jumping to that one, I could definitely see the sort of the old married couple quality yeah. to their relationship. Uh, again, that coding is there to say, oh, they should have done it this time. I don't know if that's just people pointing out with the casting. I don't know. For me, they could have left it unsaid for this film and in earlier films like how in Zootopia they could have quite easily had a gay character in Moana they could have quite easily had a gay character the thing is there's uh, someone told me but what about um, the two deer that live next to um, Officer Hops and what about that hadn't occurred to me but the thing is and what about the you know the shopkeeper in Frozen and I'm like yeah okay Lincoln you'll miss it yeah, those aren't... That's not gay representation. But also, the creators didn't... Well, Frozen, yes, but um, I didn't hear anybody saying about Zootopia afterwards going, oh, no, those two are totally a couple. Where are my brownie points? <laughs> I've heard people be very defensive of um, uh, Gazelle um, as Shakira, a, Shakira. Shakira um, as a trans woman because only male... Um, gazelles have the horns oh i hadn't heard that um and apparently that's a little but you know this is all head cannoning and trying to second guess and trying to sure. desperately trying to find yourself in yeah. representation um from what i heard i had all of the i had the when i heard the news about lefou i think i wrote it in my head how i would write it yeah um and made it good we and i yeah i think that would have been great in my head my mm-hmm. version um I I have wondered, maybe I am reaching too much, but I have wondered, would the outrage be the same if it was a character who had most of the same qualities but was very attractive and charming? And That's true. I feel there's certain implied, oh, you know, Luffy's disgusting, right? When mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I think it's quite cute in the film. Mm-hmm. The new one, like... Yeah. I don't think there's any element of that. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I suppose my big thing is, for a Disney franchise to have as their first openly mm. gay character for it to be for them to have chosen it to be a, a villainous character a character on the side of the wrong regardless of what redemption may or may not be it within the narrative i feel was a was a poor choice yes. for them to 
to toot their horn about because because we're so you we've been growing up with queer coded villainy while it isn't gay representation it is the lessons that they teach so it would have been better i feel for them to have had a, a gay character in a protagonist role first and then gone okay cool because as we said when you have more representation the representation you have then doesn't have to be all representation yeah, the, technically there shouldn't be anything wrong with LeFou being gay. It makes sense for his character. But, but it's, it's the fact that it's the first one they're openly touting. Which makes Disney's... I don't think this is their opinion, but it... That's what it comes across. It shows though. this is what Disney thinks of gay people. Exactly. But I feel that's enough for today. Beauty and the Beast, we will wait and see. Uh, yeah. So thanks for tuning in and listening to us ramble about the stuff that we enjoy right now. Um, as always, we want to thank Graham Waller, Audio Overlord and Master of the Soundwaves for our theme music and helping produce the podcast. You can check out more of his work at GrahamWaller.com and his own podcast, The Mix Cave. Uh, podcast, podcast, The Mix Cave. <laughs> um, oh, I want to thank you all for listening. Yeah. Um, but And please, rate, review and subscribe on iTunes if you can. Um, it helps us out a lot. I mean, or um, whatever podcast listening mediums you use, <laughs> if it's like Stitcher or anything, do rate, do subscribe at all. Other podcasting apps are available. Yes. Uh, if you want to get in contact with, with us, there are so many ways that you could do it. Uh, we've got individual Twitters. Uh, at Hamish Steele. At JDoxfordRose. And of course, we are Box Not Included. And you can find us under that name on Facebook, on Tumblr, on Twitter again, and at gmail.com. So really... There are so many ways you can get in contact with us. So, so why aren't you? Please do. We would love Thank to you to everyone who you. has, though. Yes, no, we've had some lovely messages, some lovely ads. We've had a, a little follow Friday. And it's great to see people that are enjoying the podcast and putting the word out. It, it's nice to know that people are listening and enjoying it. And we will be doing another No Box Box Pop as well. So, yeah, if you have any questions, uh, send those our way. We've already had a couple. Mm. So, uh, it's be a good episode. Yeah, no, the, the two we've had so far are a really good start. So, uh, but until next time, um, I'm Jade Rose. And I'm Hamish Steele. And don't let anybody box you in. Mm-hmm.